Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray is committed to helping people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can find all our information at fbcgray.org. Now, let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. Wait a minute now, let's take a good long hard look. 
make that sort of relate to them. You don't want to turn them off immediately. You want them at least to be awake for 10 to 15 minutes before they go to sleep. Maybe pick up a little something, have a little bit of interest in it. How do I do that with this passage? So I listen to J.D. Greer. Y'all know I've mentioned him several times. He's the, he's the president of Southern Baptist Convention. He's the pastor of the Summit Church in, in uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. They have a bunch of little sister churches out there that are all over the place. And, 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 and so I listen to him and, and hear how he does it because he's really a very great preacher. And he went to George Barna. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Barna, who does a lot of research, typically on Christian kind of stuff. He's a, a pollster kind of person that does this stuff. So he went to Barna, and he talked about some of the things that Barna said. And I thought, well, that'd be a good place to start. So I'll go look up what he's talking about with George Barna, and, and then I can mail that in here. That'd be a good starting place. But then when I got to Barna, I couldn't find what he had. It just, I just, it just wouldn't come out. But instead, I find this from George Barna. It was a study that he did back in 2013. His more like Jesus or more like Pharisees. <laughs> Y'all see where we're going. You just go down and get some orange, leftover orange juice from the students, and I'll preach, and y'all come back again. The end's good. But he's really knocking us out. What his team did is his team came up with his team came up with 20 questions. Five questions of attitudes of Jesus, five questions of actions of Jesus, five questions of attitudes of Pharisees. Five questions of attitudes, of uh, actions of Pharisees. And then he polled Christians. And he had questions that he asked to make sure the people he was talking about, what kind of Christian were they? Making sure first that they, they you know, had some idea of what Christianity was. But then he found out, he asked other questions to find out if they're a little liberal in the scale or if they're evangelical Christians or whatever. But overall, are you a Christian? And then he asked them these questions and takes them. So I brought the poll questions. Because if I'm going to be miserable, you're going to be miserable. It's just only fair. First slide. Actions like Jesus. Read them. I'll read them and, and, and score yourself. We're not going to raise hands or any ridiculous thing like that because that hurt our feelings. I listen to others to learn their story before telling them about Jesus. Did any of y'all go through... <coughs> Back a bajillion years ago when I was a much younger man, they had all these witnessing things that you were supposed to learn, you know, and I'm not going to call the names because no, I'm just not. But witnessing things, and, and in those witnessing things, we never learned to ask them their story first. What we did was grab them by the collar and tell them, you're a sinner, baby. You're a sinner, baby. You're going to die and go to hell and you need Jesus. And that's the way, and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it because I had this weird thing that I need to know who you are before I have to tell you you're a sinner going to hell. But anyway, number one, just say That's the only commentary I'm sorry. I listen to others to learn their story before telling about my faith. In recent years, I have influenced multiple people to consider following Jesus. I regularly choose to have meals with people who are very different faith or morals than me. I try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to me. I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. Those are actions like Jesus. Now, for the attitudes like Jesus. I see God giving value in every person regardless of their past or present condition. I believe that God is for everybody. I see God working in people's lives even when they are not following. 
than to make sure that they know that they're sinners. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and are doing immoral things. Self-righteous actions. This will be the Pharisees. I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I don't talk about my sins or struggles. That's between me and God. I try to avoid spending time with people who are openly gay or lesbian. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to constantly do the wrong things. It is not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. People who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. <clears throat> How did you do? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You know what Barna found? <coughs> Barna found that 51% of people who call themselves Christians are actually Pharisees. 50 1% would go 100% on self-righteous attitudes and self-righteous actions. Evangelicals, which I consider us to be evangelicals because we believe that you must be born again, that Jesus made you new, he died on the cross, and uh, was buried in the grave, was raised to new life, and that we follow him by repenting and believing, and that we believe the Bible is the word of God, the inerrant word of God, his word for us to reveal himself to us. We did better. Evangelicals, only 38% of us, 38, a third, only a third of us were totally on the Pharisee line. The thing that I found, and this would mean nothing to y'all, I'm saying it out loud because it means a lot to me, because I'm, I'm, I work with the pool of Pastors United Love and the Lord, our little ministers group, and what we said when we started is the only thing we would talk about is Jesus. You know, we're not going to talk about women deacons and Duncan and Sprinkling and, uh, and women preachers. Oh, we're not going to talk about any of that stuff. All we're going to talk about in this group is Jesus and how Jesus can affect Jones County. Barnes Research found that 23% of evangelicals were Christ-like. Get ready for this. This is going to blow your mind, maybe, maybe not. 22% of those flaming liberals, you know they're all going to hell, right? I mean, you know those liberal people, some of them are called themselves Democrats, they're going to hell. 22% of them live Christ-like lives, have Christ-like actions. And I thought that's cool. Because what that says to me is that when we focus on Jesus, which is what we're supposed to do, strangely enough, we all end up in the same place with Jesus. Hey, that's pretty cool. Anyway, so that's that. It doesn't get any better. Hang on. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. He says, but if you call yourself, if you pay attention as you go through, we're going to go through it again in just a minute because I've got a little change in here. But pay attention to make an argument. You see, he starts out with if, and you're going to see and, 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 and all over the place. So he's making an argument. Listen to it. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the 
God and how this affected them. But you know, when you read the scripture, you start understanding that Paul's point isn't about them being a Jew. His point is, how did they feel about their Jewishness? What did their Jewishness mean to them? That's the point. Well, if you do that, if you look at it that way, now you can make a connection. Because we can look at them and say, what did their Jewishness mean to them? What does our Christian status, and I'm talking to people in the church, us, what does our Christian status mean to us? Now, here's the deal. I know that some of you in here are not Christians. You're not Christ followers. This don't apply to you. So, lucky you, you can just sort of skate. What I want you to do this morning is I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, and I want you to pay attention, and I want you to see if what Paul has said about some people in the church is not 100% true. I want you to look and see. I'm certain that you have run into some seriously self-righteous church folk in your day. Barnabas says 51% of church folk are self-righteous, and 35% of us are partially self-righteous. That means only 14 out of every 100 Christians you meet in a given day will act like Jesus. So take those statistics, you who are non-Christians, and listen to what Paul said who wrote this 2,000 years ago, give or take a day or two, and see if his analysis doesn't apply to your life right now and see how this fits together. So that's my challenge to you if you're not a Christian. So the rest of us, the church, we're going to change a few words in this text and we're going to see if this works for us. It's not like changing it and I'm going to die and go to hell because the end of the book of the Bible says don't do that. I'm just going to take a word out and put a word right back in its place that means what for us. If you call yourself a Jew, back up. If you call yourself a Jew, if you call yourself a Jew, we're going to replace Jew for Christian. We're going to replace Christian for Jew. And for law, we're going to replace that word with church. Okay? That's what we're going to do. So here we go. But if you call yourself a Christian and you rely on what you learned at church, that means you're comfortable with it. I am good. I am good. And I boast in God and I know His will and I prove what is excellent. Now this is a sort of a misleading little phrase here because it has a meaning underneath it. Approve what is excellent means that, that I have listened to everything I've learned in Sunday school and church and everywhere I've ever gone. I've listened to everything I've learned and I know what works for me and I know what doesn't work for me. So I've gotten rid of what doesn't work for me because I know what does work for me and I approve of what works for me. That's what he's saying that you, you approve what is excellent. Y'all understand? You've done a little editing, a little, you know, I had to do a little clipping here and there to get it to, to what works for us. So he says, uh, if you approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the church, Lord, I've been in church all my life since I was in the prayer world, and if you are sure, you're convinced in your heart, you know that you are, that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor, the foolish, a teacher of children, it doesn't mean just little kids, that means anybody that's never learned anything. Have in the church the embodiment of knowledge and truth. If these things are you, you've got it right. You don't mind people watching you because you know you know you're doing the right thing. That you are, by golly dingoes, a card-carrying, letter-written member of a Southern Baptist church, have been and will be, have always been, hallelujah, praise Jesus, I'm a Baptist, I got it made, I'm right. I'm just right. And the rest of everybody else is everybody else. 
you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast of the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We church folks, we got all this knowledge. Why? Why do these unchurched folks look at us? We call us hypocrites. Why do these, why do these unchurched folks look at us and say, you're doing the very same things I do? How dare you get to be? How dare you get to sell? And you know, we could break this down and we could talk about stealing and adultery. That's low-hanging fruit. Let's work on the hard one. The hard one is here, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now that is a mess to understand. How does that work? There's two ways to look at it. One of the very, very literally, back in these days, the Christian folk had no qualms about taking stuff from pagan temples. Because pagan temples didn't matter anyway, right? So they just took the stuff. And, and they had no qualms about it. Rabbi, I can't do his first name, Ben Zakai, lived at the same time as Paul. He said he was grieved because of the increase of murder, adultery, sexual vice, commercial and judicial corruption. There's more than one way to steal from people. Bitter sectarian strife and other evils. And he's talking about people in the church. This is a rabbi saying this. These were good church folks doing reprehensible things. But then there's another meaning to this as well when you say, do you rob temples? And it means that you handle sacred things gloomily. Now I'm going to give you a silly illustration. I've mentioned it once before. But you can apply it all over the place. I do not have in God we trust on my car tag. I don't have it. I'm not going to have it. Because of this reason. When I drive, sometimes I don't drive like I trust in God. It's pretty simple. When I go to Atlanta, sometimes I will drive and I will exude the, the fruits of the Spirit. I will be peaceful, patient, kind, good, self-controlled. And sometimes when I drive down through downtown Atlanta, I am the Tasmanian devil. Because, see, I was raised outside of Atlanta. And I know how to drive in Atlanta traffic. And I know how those Atlanta people think when they drive. And I figure if they are in the spot in the road that I need to be in, they need to get their bohunkers out of my way because I'm coming to where they are. See, my exit's two miles up ahead and there's all this traffic and I've got to get over here so you can either let me in or I'm coming in. And y'all know it too. Ain't nobody kidding me. And some of you even make hand signs of people when you drive by. I know you do. I don't put in God we trust on my tag because I don't want somebody that I have just cut off and drove like I didn't know Jesus and have never known Jesus. And I pull out in front of them and then look at the tag and go, mm hmm, there's another one. Now, that's a silly little illustration. It's true. I don't have it. I'm not going to have it on my car. Not. I do have, I'm for Jones County, but they got to figure out what that means. Think of how many things in our lives are that way. Think of how many things in our lives are that way. Where we carry the banner, we wear the banner, but then we do these things. And Paul says right here, non-Christians, you can verify this. The name of God is blasphemed among the non-Christians, among the Gentiles. 
with the name of Jesus, but have limited or no Jesus in their thoughts or actions on any given day. You see that mirror standing in front of you? I see it in front of me. And what days I've done things and have no, have no thought of Jesus. And Jesus said, what's in a man comes out of a man. And that's what the world sees. And what the world sees dishonors God because our lives ignore God. I told you this wasn't going to be fun. Then. It's the ending that's good. This part's awful. And then I have to talk about circumcision. Now, I've got to help you with this one. I am affectionately known as, or would be affectionately known as, if, if you were affectionately knowing me, as prude when it comes to anatomical things. Circumcision, if you don't know what it is, talk to mom and daddy when you get home about it. I am not explaining what that is. But I can tell you this much about There's two reasons why that bothers me. Number one is that I'm a man, and that just don't sound like fun. And number two is, is that I'm the guy with the feminine hygiene product on television and commercials and I'm hoping my daughter doesn't get to know about any of this stuff until 10 years after she's married. This is, I know, just know, just know, no. But it's in here, so we're going to talk about it. But the fun thing about this is you can change the word because he's talking about a point, and we can do this. Circumcision was a big deal for the Jews because that is what God told them to do in order to be recognized as a Jew. If I had been there and I had been Abraham, I would have tried to negotiate with God and said, can't we just have like a tattoo? I don't understand what God did, but that's what he said. That's, that's what made them a Jew, though. That's what made a man, a Jewish man, a Jew. That was the mark of his Jewishness. That was his church letter. Boy, I dropped that in there quick, didn't I? That was his church Back in those days, they had a rabbi. They had rabbinical sayings, little pithy statements that the rabbis came up with. And this rabbi said that circumcised men do not descend into Gehenna. That's another way of saying, once you're saved, you're always saved. That's exactly what it says. That a circumcised Jew cannot be sent to hell. If you are a good Jew, you cannot go to hell. If you are a church member, you cannot go to hell. You can do anything you want in your life. You can live like a hellion. You can be on the news. You can, you can do everything wrong there is. No goodness can come out of you. No fruits of the Spirit. No nothing can come out of you. But when it's time for you to be buried, your family will sit in my office or in their house and tell me, but maybe he, was, he walked the aisle when he was five years old and he prayed the sinner's prayer because I heard him pray the sinner's prayer and he was saved and I know he's in heaven. And I'm telling you right now, I am convicted of this nowadays. I'm wondering, are we doing ourselves a disservice by standing up in front of people saying, you know what? He lived like hell all of his life. Because he had a letter from the First Baptist Church of Bray, he can go to heaven and go, here it is, Jesus. Got my letter. So, next scripture. Romans 2, 25 through 29, we're going to replace circumcision, circumcision with membership and the law with commandments. For if, for membership indeed is a value if you obey the commandments. But if you break the commandments, 
his unmembership be regarded as membership? Then he who is physically not a member but keeps the commands will, commit, will condemn you who have the written code and membership but break the commands. For one is a Christian, for no one is a Christian, who is merely one outwardly, nor is membership outward and visible. But a Christian is one inwardly, and membership is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. This praise is not from man, but from God. At that, we can paint ourselves with Christian paint. But if our hearts don't belong to Jesus, we're just painted up Christians. That's all we are. Conversely, those who aren't painted as Christians, but keep God's commands, they're going to be our judges. Now, does that mean that they're going to go to heaven when they die, and they're going to be standing there judgments? No, that's not what it means at all. What it means is pretty simply is this. You can look at how they live and look at how we live and determine pretty easily who's truly doing what God wants them to do. That's what it's saying. If you hold up black, white, it's pretty easy to tell the difference in the color, right? That's exactly what he's saying. If I'm a good person, but I don't do good person things, if I say I'm a good person, but I don't do good person things, and I say someone else is a bad person, but they do good person things, anybody can watch you tell the difference. It's not a hard thing. Now, I find all this convicting and pretty bleak, and that's the way Paul designed it, and then this next question sort of sums it all up for us from Romans 3, verses 1 through 8. Then, then what advantage has the Christian? Or what is the value of church membership? This is much in every way. To begin with, the Christians were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? What if? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Alright, I said earlier, if you weren't a Christian, to pay attention to see if what we were talking about fit in with some of your experience with church folks. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to be embarrassed, and I don't want you to be embarrassed. But Paul gave it 2,000 years ago, what Paul said right here. Our condemnation is just. When people look in the church and say that there's hypocrites in the church, our condemnation is just. And you know, sometimes those folks are us. Sometimes those folks are me. We deserve what people are saying about us because it's true. And even as we grow in our faith, we'll still choose to do the wrong thing. We know we are more, more often than we would like to. It is embarrassing to us, and if we're honest, we are ashamed of ourselves sometimes. I hope you are. I hope I'm not the only neurotic Christian in this room. Sometimes I go home at night and lay my head down on my pillow, and I think, good Lord, have mercy. 
hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone died for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his line on the line for us by offering his son the sacrificial death. But we were of no use, whatever.
Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. We hope you have been encouraged by this week's message. For additional resources and information, you can visit our website at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.